Hey everyone, um, just a heads up, this episode has some audio quality issues. I think someone may have been bumping the mic stand with their feet, and I apologize about that. So some stuff is a little uh, bass-heavy and bumpy, and it happens kind of throughout the whole episode, and I'm sorry about that, with the exception of film school, I think. But uh, I think the conversation is definitely still worth listening to. I think that um, the issues still make it listenable. And if you disagree, you can leave us a bad review. But also keep in mind that it's an hour of free entertainment. So I don't know. Um, but I hope you enjoy it. We had a really great conversation. It was really fun. It was really heady. Uh, there's so much that ended up on the cutting room floor on this episode. I think you can probably tell we recorded for about an hour and 42 minutes without the film school segment. So yeah, you were spared a good chunk of what we talked about, but also there's so much to unpack and I hope you guys listen to this episode and I hope you guys listen to next week's episode as we unpack all the twists and turns of silence. What you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. Travelers, and welcome once again to the Before and After Show. As always, I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I'm your other host, Ryan Buell. Uh, welcome back! It's been a minute! <laughs> 2017. Yes. Uh, how was your new year? New year was, was good, man. I'm excited for all the new flicks that are be coming out this year. Yeah, we, uh, we just did our schedule, and it looks significantly more promising than 2016 mm-hmm. did ever. So I'm actually pretty excited. We have... We have stuff mostly scheduled out through August, uh, mm-hmm. mostly. Um, some stuff is subject to change, but I am I like where all this is headed. There's some good stuff coming out. Yeah. So, uh, But before we can move on in earnest to the new releases of the new year, we are still playing catch-up with the more prestige pictures, quote-unquote, uh, from last year. And so we're going to be talking about uh, the latest movie from Martin Scorsese that got a Christmas Day release, limited, and is finally going wide. Um, the Bye Bye Man. <laughs> it, just, it just has to be said like that now. Uh, just kidding. It's called Silence. Um, but before we get into the bleakness that is silence, yep. uh, what, I, what have you been watching on your break? We had a nice long break. So. We had a nice long break, yeah. Oh, man. Um, uh, you'd think I could think of a, a huge list, but really it's been... Uh, I finished watching Frasier. Okay. Which I uh, watched the that thing went 11 seasons. 11 seasons. I got to the end of season 9, I'm like, oh, it's done. Oh, wait, there's more? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, finished that one up, which was a great series. I recommend watching it. Yeah, I'm pretty And, um, recently, uh, I've gone through Band of Brothers. I still have never seen that. It's really good. Produced by Tom Hanks mm-hmm. and Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Um, really fascinating. Well done. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, you know, a mini series of Saving Private Ryan. So yeah. very visceral, very 
in your face, but you really get to know. I, I don't want to call them characters because they're based act, you know, actual stories and actual men's lives. But you really get to know these men mm-hmm. and the you know of Easy Company and kind of what they went through from D Day all the way through to when uh, they invaded and took over, not took over, but got into Germany and mm. kind of took out the rest of the Nazi Party. Um, it's just really good. Um, each episode focuses on one uh, man from the unit. And okay. kind of, you get the, the story through his perspective, a la kind of like Game of Thrones style. If uh, For the books. Not the, I've right, never seen right. the TV show, but the books function like that, where each character is kind of, each chapter is told through their, through their perspective. Uh, and the show functions like that. And it's really good. Nice. Um, uh, some scenes are like today... I just watched the part where they came across a concentration camp. Mm. And it's given... The the moments in the show are given uh, respect and reverence for what took place. It's yeah. not flipping with it. It's just like, no, this happened. Yeah. Um, and kind of the, the unit's response to that. So it's 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 well done. If you've never seen it before, and MJ, I would recommend... Yeah. It's only 10 episodes long. Um, HBO uh, did that, I think... 2000s early 2000s yeah something like that um but yeah it's been great but that's that's pretty much what i can remember off the top of my head that i've been uh, watching lately so. um How about you so isn't band of brothers isn't it kind of a who's who of people who would be like massive stars later on like isn't tom hardy in it and oh, like yeah michael uh, fassbender most of the cast is british yeah like michael fassbender's in it um the guy that plays charles xavier in the new x-men movies. oh james mcavoy james mcavoy's in it for one episode uh tom harding mm-hmm. is in it uh, i think you just said mentioned him um it's just a bunch of different random big time movie actors uh are, are british actors so yeah. most of the cast is actually british and only like two or three are actually american does it follow a british company or are they american no troops? they're an american company oh. so all these famous british actors like michael fassbender all mm-hmm. play these american guys huh um it's, it was interesting i don't know why that was i'm kind of yeah i'm kind of curious to kind of dig into why so many british guys are playing americans it, they did an amazing job i can't complain about that um, but it was interesting, like, Tom Harding, like, he was on the one I watched today. That dude was young. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this was his first mainstream American thing that he did here or not. No, you know what it was. What was it? Star Trek Nemesis. That's right. He played Kirk's, or not Kirk, uh, Jean-Luc's, uh, clone double son thing or whatever. Yep. For the Romulans. Yep. He was the villain. Yeah. He was like 18 or 16 or something crazy. <laughs> yeah. If I recall, he did a decent job from what I could see. Yeah, I don't rem- I've never seen it, but I know he. Uh, I know he's in it. He's the villain in it. Um, for me, I watched a whole bunch of crap. Oh my gosh, I watched so much stuff. Uh, let's see. I saw Fences with Denzel. Ooh, was it good? Uh, it is good. It's very acty. Very acty. Um, okay, what do you mean by acty? Like... It just very much feels like they turned the camera on a stage play and let her rip. Uh, um, okay. <clears throat> it's really good stage acting. It's very jarring as a movie. Um, okay. I wouldn't have thought twice about it if I was seeing a, a stage production of it. Yeah. Um, but because it's filmed, it's much more intimate because you can get the close-ups always of these people. Um, sometimes it feels a lot bigger uh, than you're used to. 
Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily a bad thing, especially because the vibe they're going for is very stagey because it's a play. It's it's a play that they adapted into a movie. Yeah. Um, and as such, there are kind of only two locations, inside the house and outside the house. Um, so most of the movie takes place in this house. It's very rare that we leave the house. Um, but it's good. It's very well acted once you settle into how acty it is. But man, that, like, it is bombastic when it starts like it is it's so much acting to take in um but i liked it uh it didn't make it into my top 10 um of the year but i still i mean if you wanted to see it i would still say see it uh Mm. i mean denzel was incredible in it as always Viola Davis is incredible in it. You know, that the, the famous scene from the trailer of like, I've been standing with you for 18 years. Like that scene's amazing. Um, well. yeah. I don't know uh, who the actor is, but there's a guy who plays Denzel's um, brother in the movie. And he is, he might be the best performance in the whole movie mm. um, because the character uh, fought in world war two and, sustained some brain trauma and he had a metal plate put in his head but because medical technology was not as advanced at the time he came away from the experience mentally challenged Mm. and so he has to play that kind of role and he is very good at it Mm. um but yeah everyone's real solid The, the guy that plays his kid is really good and like watching all that come to a head uh, I also like the way the movie builds. Um, it builds like a play because it's a play. He didn't alter a word of August Wilson's original screenplay. So there's some really good monologues and really good back and forth scenes. And, um, you know, it's it's definitely a movie that's more about the words than anything else almost. Mm. Uh, and I think there's a place for that. Uh, we are going to take a short break and transition over to myself and Corey Tyndall uh, in the before and after show film school, if you guys remember that. Hey everyone, um, it's the new year and we're done taking our breaks and deviations from the end of last year and that means we're back in uh, the Before and After Show Film School and as always yes. in the Before and After Show Film School, I'm joined by Corey Tyndall. Hello internet world, we're here, we're ready to go back to school. Yes, Corey, how's it going? It's been so long since you've been on the podcast. Yeah, I know, it feels like forever. I don't know. Just fill in my time with, you know, uh, different screenings of La La Land. And just know, whatever you can. Yeah, that's what that's what I do now. <laughs> okay. That's basically your life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, the Before and After Show Film School, if you're new to the show, it is a bi-weekly segment. It happens on every before episode of the Before and After Show, um, where we talk about either a piece of film history or a an element of filmmaking. Um like set sound design or um mm-hmm. uh, what have we done in the past plot structure that kind of thing yep. or um just kind of highlight older movies that like old like old movies <laughs> um, old movies yes emphasis on old movies it's kind of <laughs> a, uh, 
a brief overview of, of film history because I think that's important. It's important to know where we came from. Um, Definitely. And Corey and I, we trade off who is the teacher each week um, or each installment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mostly do the history and Corey mostly does the elements of filmmaking. So that's the basic premise. Um and so usually what happens is we talk about a film uh, that goes along with the corresponding era of history or uh, filmmaking element. And then two weeks later, we come back and talk about that film. We go and watch that film and let you know how you can see the film and and what ways you can participate in this. Um, so, yeah, we are back. Last thing we talked about was sound design and editing and all that yes. fun stuff. And that was the perfect uh, segue into what we're talking about this week, which is sound on film yay every film history segment we've done so far has been about a silent movie now i know silent movies the way we watch them now they have accompanying film scores because it would be weird to just sit in actual total <laughs> silence um and in your home and, and watch you know charlie chaplin doing his thing so if you watch a silent movie at home yes there's you know recorded sound with it but that is not the true live experience of going to a theater and seeing the film um often they were performed they had full scores performed by uh orchestras or organs or pianos um there was some sort of live music accompaniment to the silent films there was no actual soundtrack that went along with the uh the picture all that changed um in 1926, with the uh, the the film Don Juan, um, that's not the film we're talking about this week, actually. So Don Juan is a film from 1926. It's a kind of a swashbuckling adventure type movie, um, and it was it starred John Barrymore, who you might recognize as the grandfather of Drew Barrymore. Um, she comes from a showbiz family. There it is. Yep, and it was directed by Alan Crossland. That name will be important in the film we're talking about because he also directed the film we're talking about. Um, And it was the first full-length movie to utilize Vitaphone sound on disc. So what is Vitaphone sound on disc? Vitaphone sound on disc is a very early version of a soundtrack. And what that was is attached to the film reel or the film projector was this kind of interlocking mechanical mechanism. Uh, I guess mechanical mechanism is redundant, but this interlocking mechanism of Hmm. basically gears that would turn a phonograph disc while the film played. And the phonograph disc would generate the soundtrack for the movie. The problem with that (laughs) is, uh, the interlock systems were very primitive and never completely reliable, so oh. <laughs> if the speed changed in the projector at all, or the disc skipped at all, the sound fell out of sync. And so they had to require uh, frequent supervision and constant manual adjustment. Yeah, <laughs> uh, You're also putting these things onto discs, onto wax. Uh, you can't edit them. So going back and re-editing them was a process. Um, they provided they provided distribution problems because now everyone has to upgrade this tech, right? Upgrade to this tech if they want to show this movie. They have to spend the money on the special mechanism that allows them to show this movie. Um, 
And then just general wear and tear. Uh, you know, these needles go out, records get worn out, that kind of thing. However, mm-hmm. they were cheap, and the quality at the time was much better than sound on film. So what is sound on film? Sound on film is... Um, it's printed on the side of the film reel, and so it doesn't require any special equipment. It's married to the picture, so syncing doesn't happen, or syncing, or, or falling out of sync doesn't happen. Syncing does happen, and it's accurate every time. Mm-hmm. The editing is much easier, but at the time it was very expensive. Um, <clears throat> and you know, these weren't the first time sound was on film. Sound has been on film since 1885. But these were just experimental things trying to get to where we were. Mm-hmm. Um, so Don Juan comes out. It's got the sound on disc thing. People go crazy because, well, uh, it's a uh, it's the first time that no one's seeing a movie without an audience. Uh, but there's only yeah. a film score. There's no dialogue. There's no spoken words in the movie. Sound on film allows for dialogue. And one year later made sound on disc completely obsolete in 1927. And that's where we're going to camp out today. In 1927, a movie called The Jazz Singer came out. And we're going to talk a little bit about The Jazz Singer in a minute. But The Jazz Singer was the first full-length film to have a sound on film mix. And it ended up killing silent film. The decline of silent film happens with The Jazz Singer. Um... The reason for that is because in February of 1927, Paramount, MGM, Universal, First National, and PDC, which was Cecil B. DeMille's uh, production company, all signed a contract to only go through this one sound provider, which was Western Electric, um, for their sound on film. So basically every major studio at the time signed on to have Western Electric come in and provide them with sound on film capabilities. And it just took off. Um, And the jazz singer has a lot to do with that, and we'll talk about why right now. Yay. Um, (laughs) The jazz singer's from 1927. It's a musical. It's the first full-length motion picture with synchronized sound. Uh, it stars Al Jolson, who was a huge vaudeville Broadway guy at the time. This is his first film, and it was directed by Alan Crossland. Alan Crossland was at the forefront of making sound happen on film. He was, uh, you know, he <clears throat> he was one of these guys like George Lucas, um, just on the cutting edge, you know. The Jazz Singer is based on a play um, by Samson uh, Raphaelson, and it's about a young Jewish man who is part of a very traditional and devout Jewish family, and he's got this uh, penchant for music. He likes to sing. He loves to sing, as a matter of fact. And when he uh, sings not at church or not at temple. Um, He's punished by his father and he runs away and becomes a hugely popular jazz singer. Uh, That's the basic plot of the movie. Um, He becomes an entertainer and uh, he ultimately ends up in conflict with his, uh, his, his heritage and his roots. 
and his new life as this very popular jazz singer. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of why sound took off lies in the DNA of the jazz singer. And I think that a lot of that lies in the, the DNA of the jazz singer because it's a musical. Um, you know, it wasn't just people talking for however long the movie ran. 89 minutes. Uh, 96 minutes with an overture. But it took something that was popular at the day, something that was hard to get out to go see, which was live music, and it put it on screen, right? And mm-hmm. so you, you see singing and music and stuff that you usually experience live, but now it's recorded. You know, it's it's sound and words and lyrics, but they're not being performed directly in that space. Like, that would have been a novelty uh, to anyone. But it also starred Al Jolson, who is was at one point considered the world's greatest entertainer. But he only performed on Broadway and in vaudeville acts, so you had to go to those places. You had to be in New York to see Al Jolson perform. This brought Mm -hmm. Al Jolson to the masses. Everyone could now see Al Jolson perform because the jazz singer was a movie, and the movies can be shown anywhere. And it's got this sound on film quality to it, which means the... Uh, movie houses don't have to upgrade their technology, um, and so anywhere can show them. So I think sound on film, like, if The Jazz Singer isn't the first movie to have this, I don't know if it takes as fast as it does. Because I think it's just this kind of perfect storm, and you see that a lot throughout history, I think. It's this perfect storm of elements, uh that led to this catching fire. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's funny. It's so funny if you go and look at how Mm -hmm. people uh, reacted to sound in the movies. Um, Mm -hmm. Chaplin called it a passing fad and was actually Mm -hmm. making silent films well into the 30s. And uh, he just, he thought that that sound would not, did not have a place at the movie theater and eventually saw otherwise and also made some wildly entertaining sound pictures. Uh, the Great Dictator comes to mind. Um, Limelight is another great one. So he was able to eventually embrace the technology, but he was like vehemently anti this thing. Um, <laughs> a couple other little things before we get into um, the the less than savory parts of the jazz singer. Um, <laughs> the film uh, premiered on October 6, 1927. Uh, it's a very specific date because it was Yom Kippur, uh, which is a Jewish holiday. Oh. And the movie's plot revolves around Yom Kippur. So they very much chose uh, to do that. It's a Warner Brothers picture. Um, and let's see. So the reaction was uh, mostly positive um mordant hall from the new york times said not Mm -hmm. since the presentation of vitaphone features more than a year ago which is don juan has Mm -hmm. anything like the ovation been heard in a motion picture theater the vitaphone songs and some dialogue have been introduced most adroitly 
This in itself is an ambitious move for in the expression of song, the Vitaphone, the Vitaphone vitalizes the production enormously. The dialogue is not so effective for it does not always catch the nuances of speech or inflections of the voice so that one is not aware of the mechanical features. So there were some problems with sound on film at the, at the time, but what doesn't have problems when it's the first time it's used? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the as far as the impact this thing had uh, and the influence it had, like, it changed everything. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, you know. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. And, you know, much like we saw with uh, Birth of a Nation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a silent film. But we saw D.W. Griffith pioneer these filmmaking techniques on how to tell a story visually how to frame things how to edit things so many of these things were pioneered by that and this was really the last frontier i would say uh, until the advent of uh, digital effects this is the last frontier for film to go to take the shape that we know it mostly as today um mm-hmm. you know every few decades there's kind of this huge leap in technology um, so it's, it's this slow build and that's kind of what this is, this has all been going to. I mean, look at how many movies we had to talk about before we could even get to the jazz singer. Yeah. Um, it was like four things that covered three decades. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so this all didn't happen overnight. So every time there was this big push, especially in the twenties, it was a huge deal. And, um, that's the jazz singer on a technical level. Uh, the jazz singer on a societal level level is <laughs> a lot like the birth of a nation. It's not. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and argue that it's not quite as dangerous. Uh, yeah. Because you know. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. People probably didn't die. Yeah. Uh, um, from the, the jazz, message of this movie. <laughs> yeah, the jazz singer doesn't uh, didn't start a uh, uh, reembolden a a dormant racist group. Um, yes. The way the birth of a nation did. <laughs> The jazz singer is crazy racist. Um, <laughs> and I don't think it's anti the people group that, uh, or anti black people. Um, but the way uh, Jake is able to become this Yes, jazz the jazz singer, singer. Yeah. Is he puts on blackface. And. There's no, like, there's no, there's no, <laughs> I can't justify that. Um, the only thing I can say is it was 1927. It was a different time period in America. We weren't that far removed from slavery at that point. Um, I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned vaudeville and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, very tied to minstrel shows. And, you know, so it, it was, it was kind of the time. I don't want to say, like, that's the excuse. But, I mean, that's, that's where it was going on. So, yep. Uh, Al Jolson, uh, before he made The Jazz Singer, no stranger to blackface. He actually performed in blackface in a play he did called uh, Robinson Crusoe Jr. And he performed in blackface in that. So it provided a complicated relationship um, between him and the black community. But a lot of people... And I would, I'm going to say right now as the official (laughs) stance of the before and after show, um, this is making the best out of a bad situation. This is not, this is not an endorsement of blackface. Yeah. 
It's like, we do not condone. <laughs> However, a lot of people view it uh, in a historical sense as an act of solidarity with the black community. Um, because Jews are a, mar- as, are a marginalized group as well. Um, something we definitely saw a couple decades later during World War II, obviously. Yes, but yes. throughout the course of human history, you kind of see Jews become, being this marginalized group as well. Um, yeah. You know, they do have a lot of, uh, there's a lot of history in common there. You know, Jews used to be slaves as well. Yep. So a lot of people, specifically with the jazz singer, not so much in his other blackface roles, but with the jazz singer, they viewed it as a parallel between the struggles of the black community and the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Like I said, that's probably making the best out of a bad situation. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, I, at no point, you know, if I feel <laughs> like if, if someone came out in blackface today and was like, no, I'm Jewish. So it's fine. Cause we're kind of the same. It like, no one would buy that for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so that is, you know, if you are one of these people who who is is watching this with us and, and you like to keep up on the movies, there is blackface in the movie. He performs in blackface kind of a lot. Uh, yeah, I was, was going to say, it's like half the time, you know, it's like whenever he's performing. So yes, Yeah, and a lot of the backstage scene, he's still got his, uh, his blackface makeup on. Um, <clears throat> as a matter of fact, I bought the movie on Blu-ray several years ago and I have yet to watch it. But it comes with a booklet that's kind of like, hey, we know. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's definitely this, this, this tone of like, we understand, however, and this is, this is my justification for doing it on the show. It is too important to ignore in the yeah. whole of film history and cultural history. It's yeah. an incredibly important cultural artifact. Um, Partially because of that race stuff. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen the film, so I would like to think maybe not exclusively because of that, but I mean, it brought sound to the movies. Like, that is something worth uh, uh, talking about and I think celebrating um, yeah. while also condemning the, uh, you know, the racism. The racism. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Much like our talk about Birth of a Nation. So yeah. that's kind of the the big overview of the jazz singer. If you would like to watch the jazz singer, it is not available to stream for free anywhere, but you can get it on all your major streaming platforms: YouTube, iTunes, Amazon Video, Vudu, and Google Play. It's two ninety nine on every single one of those to rent. That's not a lot Boom. of money. You can go to your local library and get it. If you have Netflix discs, I'm sure you can get it. Um, yep. There is a Blu-ray available of it out there, which is I'm sure a, a uh, it's a legacy Blu-ray, so it's a, uh, you know, it is a, a um, I'm sure the restoration is is very well done on it. Make sure you're not, <laughs> make sure you're not getting the jazz singer from 1980 starring Neil Diamond. Yeah, yeah, good clarification. <laughs> it's a remake, but it's not the movie we're talking about. Nope. Um, it should be glaringly obvious that you're watching the 1980 version by the way um was neil diamond in blackface in no, the 80s he okay was not. I, was like, <laughs> I don't think so although if he was i might have to see this movie yeah i was like wow <laughs> no i oh, don't man. think so yeah, I don't. I don't think that would fly. No, I even don't in either. the eighties. Gosh, the IMDb <laughs> poster for the Al Jolson jazz singer is so racist. Oh my gosh. Okay. Wow. Right. Um, um, but yeah. So Corey, what what do you think about the the jazz singer? Um, I'm excited to watch it. You know, like racism is 
just, you know, it's kind of, it's an understood in some of these films, just like we talked about Birth of a Nation, and Birth of a Nation was greatly important, like you've talked about, and we discussed at length on previous episodes, but, you know, the jazz singer is just as important, um, and in some ways more important in terms of, like, just how, you know, we're talking about, like, film technology for movies grew, and especially bringing sound to film, bringing spoken dialogue to film. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a musical, so it's kind of... At the same time, it was doing so many things, but, you know, that was... This is the genesis of so many things. Spoken dialogue, uh, you know, like, sound in film that way, like, the musical genre, you know, started here, and, you know, like, we would see that progress. So, yeah, I mean, like, I'm... I, I know there's there will be racism, but that is not, like... A deterrent at this point after seeing through Birth of a Nation. Yeah, so, there's no um, way it can be as think, racist as Birth of a Nation. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, it, it might be, this might be like a 5 or a 6 or something where Birth of a Nation was like an 11, you know? So it's yeah. like, I, I, there's no way. There's no, there's no way I will be, like, more offended by this film than, you know, Birth of a Nation. Plus, I love jazz, so... Yeah, that's true. You do love jazz. So, but also, yeah. La La Land is out. There's no blackface in La La Land. You should go see that. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Gosling blackface. That that would be bad. Uh, But no, yeah. So, I'm looking forward to it. What about you, MJ? I am also looking forward to it. Uh, I mean... You should know by now, um, if you're any sort of a long-time listener to the show, I love film history, and the best thing this show has provided for me, uh, outside of, I think, improving the way I communicate with other people, <laughs> is the opportunity to do a deep dive into film history. And I think the, the you know, the, that's kind of what the show started out as, but I think the Before and After Show Film School has really helped me focus down on the brass tacks of all that. And this is another staple, you know, like regardless of, of the uh, maybe more uh, yucky social stuff, yeah. it's a staple. Like it is for anyone pursuing any sort of anything in the in the field of film, I think it's essential viewing based on what it did. Um, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm a big proponent of... You have to know where you came from, and you have to know the building blocks of these things before you can start to tear them down and play with them and deconstruct them. Yeah. Um, so I am very much looking forward to the movie. It's only 89 minutes, so it's not like a crazy huge commitment. Um, yeah. Like I said, if you want to watch along with us, it's available on all those streaming platforms, your local library. Uh, go support your local library. I was able to get a movie that I've been trying to track down for months over there. And uh, yeah. it was pretty great. Um, a lot of libraries have them for free. My library has them for like two fifteen for a week. Come on, yeah, they've what got they've got lots of stuff. Support your libraries. I worked at a library. Yeah, that's, you did. That's right. It's good. Yeah, good times. Yeah, it's two dollars and fifteen cents for a week rental. You're not gonna get that deal at Redbox. Yeah. Come on. Um, nope. Yeah. So go go track this down however you can. Um, I'm sure it'll, it'll provide at least some decent conversation in two weeks, and we will uh, be back <laughs> then to to talk about that. So yeah, until next time, uh, we will we will be watching the jazz singer, and uh, now you're going to hear myself and Ryan Buell talk about likely the one of the most somber movies of 2016, probably yes. the last <laughs> one that we need to catch up on in the big uh, awards season race. Um, 
silence. So uh, take it away, me and Ryan. I hope you enjoyed that conversation between myself and Corey. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks to talk about what our thoughts were on the jazz singer and uh, its important place in cinema history, being the first movie using sound on film technology. Um, but it is now 2017, and Ryan and I are here, and we're going to talk about Martin Scorsese's new film, Silence. Um, <clears throat> Silence is a film starring... Liam Neeson, uh, Adam Driver, and Andrew Garfield. Um, they play Jesuit priests who are tasked with being missionaries to China in the 1600s, which is a period of time... Sorry, Japan, not China. China, yeah, Japan. My apologies. They're, they're Portuguese. Yeah, they're Portuguese Jesuit priests sent into Japan in the 1600s, which is widely known as a huge time of persecution for um, Christians in Japan. Uh, it's based off of a novel that people are going to crucify me, no pun intended, hmm. for not knowing the author's name. Uh, it is a Japanese book, um, Shusaku Indo. It's based off a book by Shusaku Indo, and it is widely known to be Martin Scorsese's passion project. He's been trying to get this movie off the ground for 28 years, uh, which coincidentally is how long I've been alive. <laughs> and the reason for that is because he was given the book after his film The Last Temptation of Christ came out. That was the last time he really tackled the subject of Christianity on film. It was met with a ton of controversy because of its portrayal of Jesus. Um, it's actually a film that I have not seen, but I was thinking about visiting for this podcast. Um, and it came out in 1988, which is the year I was born, and he was given this book and read through it while kind of the backlash was happening and. He didn't really understand because in his eyes, he was making a very uh, honest, uh, at least from his own heart, portrayal of Jesus. Mm. Um, because Scorsese is, is a professing Catholic. Uh, and if you, have, if you can't tell, I don't think you've ever seen a Martin Scorsese movie because uh, I think uh, Catholic and Christ-like imagery dot the landscapes of every single one of his movies almost. Mm. Um, you know, he's an Italian guy from New York, like old school New York. Mm -hmm. uh, and so his his like mainstays are uh, gangsters, uh, powerful men and Jesus. Like the, those <laughs> like re religion and faith and the nature of those things and what those and honestly what those gangsters and what those powerful men put their faith in. Um, that's kind of been the story of his career mm. for about four decades now. Um, Scorsese is also widely considered one of, if not the best director to ever set foot behind the camera. Um, mm. Ryan, are you a Martin Scorsese fan? I, you know, I was thinking about this on, on driving over here. I've, I've seen a few of his films. I've mm -hmm. seen Shutter Island, uh -huh. which is, I'm hoping that was his. Um, did he do Gangs of New York? Mm -hmm. I've seen that one. Um, what else have I seen by him? I think I've seen a few. I've seen a few others. I like his work. Mm -hmm. I, I know The Departed. Uh, have you seen The Departed? No, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, man, um, I know that's like he's he's lauded for that one. 
Um, I, I like his stuff. I'm not particularly enamored with any of it, but mm-hmm. I think he's really good. Like, I in no way, shape, or form deny that, but I'm not... I don't follow his career, but I know he's, like... Uh, with film critics, he's, like you were just saying, he's considered, like, the last kind of surviving old-school, like, legit director who kind of... who knows his stuff and does it very well. Yeah. Um, but I'm... Yeah. Short answer, I, I like him, but... Yeah. I don't know a whole lot about the man. I love Scorsese. I mean, it, for a few years there, I would have said he's my favorite director. And even now, depending on the day, I'll probably still say it mm-hmm. uh, from time to time. It's mostly Spielberg is the answer you'll get from me. But, man, I do love me some Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Uh, you know, he really got my start as a true cinephile, I think. Mm-hmm. I think if it weren't for The Aviator and The Departed kind of being a one-two punch for me, I wouldn't have been set down this path i think he had a lot to do with my early you know i'm mostly self-taught in this field and i think he had a lot to do with that so as a result of that i have to see everything he puts out like it does it doesn't matter you know um the other end of this movie for both of us is it's about uh i mean it's about jesuits um but it's about men of faith and not uh, but like uh, christianity right um for all intents and purposes for the simple for simplicity's sake yeah uh it's about <clears throat> two christian men um something that we don't talk about often on the show but i'm sure you've picked up on if you've heard us you know we don't uh it's this isn't a a, a podcast that's through a christian lens but it's not something we hide yeah i think um is that we both are christians yeah both profess Yes, um, both profess and pretty publicly. I mean, I've I've written pieces for real world theology. Uh, if you can't figure out what that site's about based <laughs> on the name, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I've been on their podcast. Uh, you know, I've promoted stuff that they've done. I've recommended that people read Alyssa Wilkinson from Christianity Today's film reviews. Um, so I've I've written both film criticism from i'm not going to say a secular point of view but uh film criticism that doesn't incorporate my faith a lot and film criticism that heavily incorporates my faith yeah um so you know those things don't exist in a bubble to me and i think they don't for you either um the problem with being christians who love movies is movies don't love christians and i don't mean that a lot of movies that come out are anti-christianity i mean that can be true that can be true uh but i think that a lot of movies targeted towards Christians don't really give a crap about Christians. Yeah, they're very pandering. They're very pandering. They're very cash grabby. Yeah. Um, they present no real examination of the complexity of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you, uh, you know, if you get into it, like it's believing in a higher power is a very complicated endeavor. It's not always you know it's not the charming southern gentleman on your television screen telling you to name it and claim it every week that's yeah. not actual faith in no. a higher power um, that's dr phil on crack <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> there's a lot to being a christian that christian movies really don't get no. um because they have a built-in audience so why should they um, you know, I think one, the one reason you're never going to hear a lot of explicit faith talk on this show is because the movies we talk about maybe don't explicitly, you know, we could, we could adjust the, the lens of the show and find something to talk about within Christianity. Like our faith informs everything we do. Right. Yeah. But I don't really want to go see God's not dead 800. 
uh, for this because it's going to be terrible. Yeah. But I, instead of talking about that, we can talk about movies like Calvary. Exactly. That do uh, that are not only an amazing film, mm-hmm. but do a far better job of conveying your faith and my faith than the war room or god is not dead or you know the the new one that's coming out about the guy who wants to be in a play and he's not you know whatever i can't remember what it's called oh the wwe one yeah what the f man (laughs) what is that even it just it looks stupid but you know or heck even uh might sound crazy to say but even the movie like fury oh yeah it's got some really strong Christian tones, it's just wrapped in a lot of foul language and a lot of horrible things that happen on in the war. But there's more that I, too, as a Christian, can relate and be like, man, this this rings true to me in these instances far more than the war room or you know those are those are like fairy tale Christian stories to yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I you know you know I know people that love them, and if you like if you're one of those people, that's fine. But for me, and I think MJ might agree, they're just, they're not our cup of tea. <clears throat> I don't think there's anything particularly edifying. I think yeah. they're cotton candy. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing wrong with eating cotton candy every so often. But at the same token, it's not doing anything really that good for your faith, I think. You know, yeah. because our faith, when we take our faith out into our week after we get out of our comfy Christian bubble on a Sunday morning, which can sometimes, and a lot of times shouldn't be that comfy really um you know i think church is a place where you can where you go to be you go to get refreshed but you also go to get convicted sometimes mm-hmm. um but as we take that out of the world not everyone's going to share our christianity that's just not how the world well, especially works. nowadays i think and so you know people people of faith when we take an art no matter what our faith is going to inform that and you know i i think there are certain i think a lot of the christian christian bands that you and i like too when it comes to art especially i think i think as christians like you and i i know don't go in for a lot of the good the quote good christian music yeah either because it's really bad also um pandering to a sense it's pandering and not really honest it's not really honest and i think movies like um calvary or fury or what i'm expecting out of silence they are two of those are i think explicitly about faith um i haven't seen fury so i can't speak to that but i mean i haven't seen silence yet either but mm. um silence is certainly about yeah, it's, faith. it's pretty clear <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. um calvary as well yeah. um those feel like real world situations you would have your faith in yeah um you know if i take my faith out into the week I'm just not seeing, you know, people that agree with me always, all the time. I see my friends, um, who most of them are Christians, some of them are not. Um, and I see my family, most of them are Christian, some of them are not. But everywhere else is a wild card. For everyone, always. Like, you know, your coworkers, unless you work at a church, and even then sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Sad but true, sad but true. Um... You know, the people you work with are not uniformly Christians. Uh, You know, or uniformly whatever your political leaning is, or whatever your anything leaning is, really. Um, And so these movies that exist in this Christian bubble, where it's just Christians talking about Christian stuff always, 100% of the time, they, they act as a security blanket 
um, or cotton candy. Like I said, they, they, they make us feel secure in this bubble and the, you know, this world of Christianity that we, we live in. But if you take any, like, if I showed an atheist, God's not dead, they would legally be allowed to punch me right in the face. (laughs) 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 If I show them something like Calvary, I'm probably not going to follow it up with, so you should believe in Jesus now because of that movie. But what is going to happen is we're going to have a good conversation about what faith is like and what it's like in, uh, and, and, you know, we don't live in a town as small as the main character in Calvary, but if you like that movie is just him going around talking to people for a week Mm -hmm. and having different conversations about faith with people who have different types of faith or no faith whatsoever or uh proclaim to share his faith but have doubts about it um you know he he gets this tapestry of people that 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 inform his community and make up his community and then make up the place he's living in and that's what the world is like that's how it actually is and you know um for the most part, uh, because God can work through anything, um, for the most part, you're not going to change hearts and minds standing on a street corner yelling at people. You're going to change hearts and minds talking to people, yeah. having conversations. It's not always, sometimes it will be, but it's not always going to be after one conversation with a person. It can be a years-long process. It can be a decades-long process. You may not even see that come to fruition while you're there, that person is in your life. Yeah. But... If you have honest conversations with people about your faith and you're open to the questions that they have for you and you are honest about the questions you have for them, you're going to build bridges and you're going to plant seeds. Like you're going to plant thoughts in their head. They're going to lead to more questions and more conversations with maybe you, maybe other people, maybe pastors. They're going to like, it's going to build this foundation that eventually something might happen on. Yeah. And I think that a movie like Calvary, um, if you guys haven't seen Calvary, by the way, go see it. it. It's really good. Brendan Gleeson. It's a slow burn. It's not pretty. Um, Mm. You know, it's not watch it with your family. uh, Appropriate. Uh, But like there, I don't think there's a smarter Christian movie that I've ever seen. No, not for, not for my money. There hasn't been. No. Um, So when Martin Scorsese, a man who has directed, uh, you know, a movie about a guy who ends up living with a teenage prostitute and going and brutally murdering her pimp and everyone in the whorehouse where he rescued her from. Um, And then, you know, also makes a movie about this guy this straight up psychopath who walks the streets of new york who's this guy's screw up little brother and he makes this movie about a uh a real life boxer um jake lamada who was a great boxer that ended up in a life of crime and was a serial uh abuser of his wives uh he was married more than once um who ended up in a lot of legal trouble and ended up being overweight owning a casino in i think florida i've only seen raging bull once so if i got any of those facts wrong i don't really care um (laughs) but you know so so 
you know, he's he's got this reputation for making these dark, hard-nosed, hard-edged movies, and then he goes and makes something like Last Temptation of Christ, which is, in his eyes, this very earnest and honest uh, portrayal of the life of Jesus, and um, from his perspective, done with nothing but reverence. I, like I said, I haven't seen the picture, so I don't know if it was or not, and he's met with all this controversy, both because of the movies he's made up until that point in his career, and, you know, there's some there's some weird stuff about the portrayal of Christ in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not always accurate. Uh, one, my question to you, Ryan, is mm-hmm. does it need to be? And uh, two, um, w- is he allowed to make movies about faith, even though he's known for these violent or, or hypersexual movies? Like, I mean, he's following up Silence with Wolf of Wall Street, or he's following up Wolf of Wall Street with Silence. Like, that movie was three hours of drugs, sex, and swearing. Yeah. So, uh, let's tackle one, one at a time here. So, the first question was towards... Specifically with, like... I... There's, I don't remember off the top of my head what the controversy is, but there was some controversy with the way he portrayed Jesus in Last Temptation of Christ. Okay. Um, And his justification was he was portraying him as fully human. Um, Some people thought that they showed Jesus committing sin. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what the... I I haven't seen the movie, so I I can't speak to that. Uh, I haven't seen it either. Um, What I've heard, which may be very wrong, is that in that one he sleeps with a woman? I think... That's what I, I could I be think, wrong. I think you're right. But I think right. that might, what the, might, might be what the controversy is. Mm-hmm. Um, so to your question, uh, does he have to be accurate in his portrayal? Is that um, just, I'm just trying to... Yeah, so when he, when he makes a movie like Last Temptation of Christ, and he's not basing it off the Bible, he's basing it off of a book called Last Temptation of Christ. That's also based off of a book. Mm-hmm. Um... You know, I think the fault lies maybe in the book. Um, yeah. But the book also isn't like, hey, I'm just going to rewrite the Gospels. Um, you know, like fictional fictional works about Jesus are kind of a weird gray area, right? Because we admit the man existed. We admit he's the son of God. We admit he died on the cross and came back three days later. Yeah. So, you know, and we count all that as hard truth. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you approach him as less than that it can get a little weird um i think like when you make a movie about jesus or when you make any art about jesus i guess um can you can it be a work of fiction you know can you use these the gospels over here to inform your work about jesus um, or does it always have to be a hard adaptation of the, ga- the Gospels? I don't really know about that one. I, I, for me, with Scorsese, spe- specifically with uh, Last Temptation of Christ, um, I would have to, even though I haven't seen it, so maybe this is uh, an unfair assessment, but I would say that he, he's kind of earned that controversy if it is in fact what happened where Christ slept with someone because then you're... Uh, his death meant nothing Mm -hmm. if that's the case because he was fully man but not fully god Mm -hmm. because he was he could sin um and i don't want to get into a whole theological debate over that um but we're talking about christ as a real man and putting out something that is not true of him that 
Uh, it's, it's a hard question to answer, but, you know, for, for me, um, that's a hard one. It is, because the then the question becomes, like, yes, we, you know, we agree that Jesus is the spiritual being, but he's also this historical person, mm-hmm. and, like, no one seems that mad that Alexander Hamilton's rapping. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, yeah. it, I mean, and people mostly don't have a problem, I think, with Jesus Christ Superstar, which is a musical adaptation of the life of Christ. Jesus wasn't going around singing his whole life. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I personally think that the, the play is stupid. Um, um, and to a certain extent, to a, cer- to a certain extent, possibly could be seen as being a mockery, especially with the content that's in the... I don't know a lot about the play. I just... <laughs> the little I've heard. So... So, like, you know, when you make, when you go and make a movie like Walk the Line. Yeah. You have to make some stuff up. Mm-hmm. Because you, yeah, you get to make it up. <sighs> when you go and make about a movie about Jesus, like, I, I think, think you already have to make some stuff up. <laughs> like, you have to fill I in some I think to place. a certain extent, but you have to remain, remain true to what the gospel presents mm-hmm. in, about his character, um, about who he was, fully God and fully man. Mm-hmm. And I think to add things that clearly Christ never did, but just for the sake of, well, he might have, we don't know. Uh, to me, that's not right. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to articulate it, but to me that just seems like you're going a place, you're making Jesus do something and say something he never did or, or would have intended. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, well, heck, Jesus could. you can make Jesus say whatever you want because it's, he doesn't explicitly say X, Y, or Z. Right. So you can go, it, to me that's a dangerous road to go down, right? If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, I would use a counter argument of the Passion of the Christ. Like, I don't think Jesus really maybe necessarily saw Satan incarnate in and the garden. Stomped him. No, uh, yeah, no. And I, I'll give you that, but that is beautiful imagery. Yes, that that Mel Gibson gave. Um, I also don't. I know the there's some other things in there that he that he did that I wouldn't say would the were his interpretation. Right. But I think overall, and in fact I was going to say I'm going to compare silence to passion of the Christ in the mm-hmm. sense of I think it's going to be a gut wrencher. Yeah. Um but it's going to be very this is you know what missionaries across the world had to deal with at that time. This is stuff that actually happened. Yeah. to these people. Um But yeah, question about Christ in the film and can you make a fictional adaptation or kind of make up certain things i think for me it just depends on what you say about him yeah i think that's the bottom line i think you have to i think you have to make stuff up if you're if you're gonna make a film about jesus you know you're never gonna you never because you never know like we have we do have the written words and we do count those as you know infallible god-inspired words but it doesn't count every single detail of the man's life either True. You know, it's not it's not a detailed account of every single day of his existence. And so it is this weird gray area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't have a problem with people making up facts about Johnny Cash, but some of the stuff we saw him do in that movie, he didn't do. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, Hamilton's rapping on Broadway right now. Like that was he and he's Puerto Rican. Like that's not that's not who Alexander Hamilton was. Mm-hmm. Um I guess it depends on who it's been written about, you know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the subject matter, you know, Johnny Cash and Alexander Ham- Hamilton, 
interesting men. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you get to the subject of Jesus and both fully God and fully man. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not a, that's a outside of the box. Not even that's outside, outside of the box. Thinking. Yes. That's, that's, yep. It's hard to even wrap your head around the fully God and fully man. Human, the human brain cannot comprehend that. doesn't mean it's not true. Right. That's not something that I can comprehend. And I think that's important to note. Yeah, I agree. And I think, um, with Martin Scorsese, like, you know, I, I've heard him talk about his faith a little bit, quite a bit in the last few months. Um, obviously I was just born when Last Temptation of Christ had come out. Um, so I don't know what he talked about then, but I, and I've heard him talk about, you know, even with The Departed, like when Jack Nicholson dies, he puts him in a Christ-like pose, you know, Christ imagery dots the landscape of his films like nobody's business. And he's, he's really into that because he is a professing Catholic, um, you know, Martin Sheen's character in uh, The Departed is a devout Catholic. Uh, you know, he, he, uh, may, he uh, a lot of his portrayals of these gangster guys are, they're devout Catholics in addition to being mob bosses. Um, and based on the way he talks about his faith, I haven't seen anything to suggest it's purely cultural. And I think he talks about it too much for it to not be. Mm. of just like oh i grew up with italian american in new york and we were catholics so that's what you were yeah so that's what so that's what i am i guess um and so i think specifically with last temptation of christ sight unseen um i think he was he was trying yeah i think it's one of those things where the road to hell is paved with good intentions i think he was trying to make a very honest portrayal of jesus but it was very honest from Martin Scorsese's perspective of Jesus. Um, and so I think that's where he kind of took a misstep rather than making it the movie explicitly about Jesus. I think if he would have made Martin Scorsese's Jesus, not even Martin Scorsese's Jesus. Well, kind of Martin Scorsese's Jesus, but would have made it about, you know, a kid growing up in New York in the thirties and forties, uh, and becoming an adult when organized crime runs it who is this christ-like figure in that you know if he explored if he explored christ thematically through through a different skin almost i think he would have removed himself from some of that controversy right mm. um but i think the problem he runs into there is that that at a certain point that guy is so not divinely inspired mm. um and i think i think that Scorsese does like I think he does think that Jesus was fully God and fully man I don't think that he doesn't think that I just think he maybe did some missteps along the way um but I don't I don't know if that discredits the earnestness of the man you know what I mean yeah um it's not i mean I, well ultimately you and i we don't know his heart yeah I exactly mean, we could judge we could judge the art till the kingdom come pardon the pun <laughs> um but ultimately god's the only one that knows your heart my heart martin scorsese's heart yeah i don't know why we're in that grouping but you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you know what i mean yeah so uh he may very well be devout in his faith you know and and, and fully believe in, in christ and be a follower of christ I couldn't tell you. Uh, my personally, uh, I find it difficult uh, 
a slash porno film of some kind. You know, a lot of sex in it. Right. Um, maybe not porno. That might be a bit too strong. Uh. <laughs> okay, no. Porno. And, you know, I could get he's trying to make a point with that. But at the same time, there's gonna, you got to have something going on in your heart to be able to be okay with making that. Right. And still be and still call yourself, you know. Right, right. It's a right. weird line to walk. And again, I don't know his heart, so right. I can't make a judgment on the man. But I have trouble with facts looking at what he's done and being like, does this line up with this? Right. I don't know. Right, right. I understand. And, you know, Wolf of Wall Street is an absolute condemnation of the stuff that man did. Yeah. Um, I did, you know. I do actually, now that I think about it, a little more nuanced. I don't think it's a porno movie because I think the intention of porn is to uh, titillate and mm-hmm. incite lust. And I think th- while there is a lot of nudity and sex in The Wolf of Wall Street, the intent was not to titillate and incite lust, but to show how his thirst for lust is awful. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, he by the end of the movie, he's a rapist. Um, he rapes his wife. Like no, like no two bones about it. There is a full on marital rape scene in the movie, um, <clears throat> which I think happened um, mm. because the real dude consulted on the movie. So when I do look at, at those movies that he does make, about like Wolf of Wall Street or a Goodfellas or a Casino. Casino, casino, <laughs> casino, you know, um, casino. Uh, it they are about despicable, powerful men, but they're about how that lifestyle is not sustainable and never will be sustainable. Um, which goes back to the Calvary argument of, mm. well, yeah, but that's like that's a very realistic portrayal of their rise and fall. Um, so like you said, it's, it only God knows his heart. Um, and I think, I think the most earnest moments in Scorsese movies come at the downfall of these men. You know, I think, especially like Wolf of Wall Street, we'll, we'll use that one because it's the most recent picture. Wolf of Wall Street, it's three hours long. It's so long. It's so it's such an assault on all your senses uh, for three hours. Mm. And a lot of people complained about that, and I get it. But I think it was in service to how it's it's an indulgent runtime because Belfort led an indulgent lifestyle. And so mm. I think it just thematically... like The thing is, I think he thought about the runtime for this movie even to a thematic degree. Um, and he was like, yeah, we're going to make this film feel exhausting and overindulgent to show that it is unsustainable, that type of life. Like you, even just three hours with someone living their life like that is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, and you couldn't keep that up. So I think he, while he is obsessed with powerful, despicable men, I don't think he ever glorifies them either. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something he gets accused of, which boggles my mind every time. Like, maybe it is because I do let my faith inform the way <laughs> I watch movies. And I, like, all I see in that is these powerful men just getting put, like, just in getting, get, just getting dragged down. Like, you know, it's hard because we're just two guys sitting here talking about an artist we've never met. Yeah. Um, you know, all we have to go on in is, is his art. Mm. 
Um, and with silence, now, uh, sorry, uh, this will be fun to edit. Um, <laughs> you, with silence, we have not these powerful men. Um, as a matter of fact, quite the opposite. Depowered. Yeah, uh, from the get-go. Um, and it's a movie, as far as I can tell, about these men who go into a place where they are not welcome mm -hmm. at all. And they see the horrors enacted upon people who proclaim Christ in that area of the world in the 1600s and what that would do to your faith um if you went in and saw that you know i guess i can only speak for me you know the the the, the trailer has this great moment with andrew garfield where he's praying and he's just like am i talking to the silence like are you even there um are you there god it's me spider-man and <laughs> he <laughs> never talked in a while as soon, I was really glad that line was in the trailer yeah. because I was like, well, this is going to let certain Christians know that they should not see this movie because it has someone doubting their faith. Yeah. Um, but I got really excited about that. Uh, not because I struggle with doubts a lot. Um, I'm not saying but I to, haven't struggled with that. But to see that. But to see that. That's very real. Especially to see what he does with that. If, mm -hmm. if it, you know, where it will lead, what will actually happen. Yeah. That'll be interesting to watch. Yes, I agree. And, uh, you know, it is realistic. Like I, like I said, I don't struggle with that a lot. But the key word there is a lot. It happens from time to time. Um, and I'm almost positive if I went into a situation where... By the hundreds, people that proclaimed the same faith as me were being strung up on crosses in the ocean during high tide and just getting basically water tortured. Uh, yeah, it'd be hard. It'd be, it, it wouldn't be easy, man. Like, it would, it would be real difficult and I would have a lot of questions. Um, and, you know, maybe listeners, you don't feel that way, or, or Ryan, even you don't, I can only speak to myself, but I could absolutely see myself being like, whoa, is this even real mm -hmm. um, in that situation, especially in the 1600s when it was like really hard to stay alive as it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so Ryan, now that we're finally, finally talking about the movie proper, what, do, what are you expecting out of Silence? Um, I, I'm expecting, uh, a fairly accurate representation of what Christians had to go through in, mm -hmm. in Japan, because the, the book is based off of things that actually, maybe not characters, real people, but stuff that actually happened to Christians in that time period. Um, kind of the blood of the martyrs, blood of, of the men and women who, you know, Christians before me, who put their, put their faith they they walk the walk they put you know the, the rubber met the road mm -hmm. um and the horror stories that come with that and you know that you bring up a good point you know seeing something like that you say is this real and and why i think it's a i think this movie would be very sobering mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and that the christian christianity is not a safe faith mm. and it's not a cutesy stupid you know um 
movie that you know everything is neat and tidy and yeah you know because christ never told us that in yeah. fact you know very the opposite of what anything joel Osteen would have said yeah um and it's it's a dangerous faith and it's a dangerous thing you proclaim you know then you know the world doesn't like when we say christ is the only way to heaven mm-hmm. or you know they, they see that as being exclusive and you're excluding other faiths and where every faith excludes mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. um but anyways um but i i expect to be very sober and, and i very much expect a passion of the christ experience where I'm, I'm sure some tears will be shed because it touches home these are men and women who laid down their life lives for what they believed mm-hmm. and they did it because of what christ had done for them Mm. which makes it possible to say yeah you're going to torture me for a few hours but look what they did to my lord for me mm-hmm. and the wrath that was poured out on him for me this is nothing you know would I be have that attitude the moment I don't know <laughs> no. I think I would be sh- sheer terror and but I would hope and pray that's where my heart would go if something like that were to fall me I mean I thinking about this movie I think about recent stuff with like ISIS mm. and all the things they did to the Christians there beheading mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. you know so this stuff is not something that just happens in the past this is happening today in our world yeah um, yep so yeah I, I expect it to be very sobering and I expect it from a little I've, the trailers I've seen I expect it to be beautiful looking oh man yeah. um, but that being secondary to the main story of these these men and their struggle with faith and I, I'm, I'm interested to see what kind of role Liam Nielsen, Nielsen. Nielsen plays. Mm-hmm. Kind of the guy that supposedly walked away from his faith because mm-hmm. of the torture. And then seeing how these other men walk in and how they measure up. So I, I, I think it's going to be really good, but I think it's going to be a difficult movie. And probably mm-hmm. not one that I'll want to watch again. Yeah. But will count myself very lucky to have seen in my lifetime. Yes, so. I, I agree. Um <clears throat> I think it'll be easier to watch than The Passion of the Christ only because even though it is portraying real events that happen in history, it still is an adapted work of fiction. Mm. Um, And so I think I'm always pretty good about having that at the forefront of my brain. However, it is 169 minutes. Um, So it is, I expect it to be relentless uh, because Martin Scorsese is a relentless filmmaker, but also because I feel like that story needs to be. Um, I feel like anything other than brutality is almost a disservice um and it's it's weird to say that i know especially in a movie that's supposed to be about faith but like you said it's a dangerous thing to proclaim um and like i said here in america physically it's not that dangerous um sometimes it can be but not 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 it not the way it is in the middle east i really know it's it's, it's, a lot of things i'm saying tonight are cliche but god really has blessed america Mm -hmm. and and brought it to where it is mm-hmm. you know, god is sovereign overall um so that's not just some cute southern catchphrase god bless america no really yeah we are god has blessed our socks off to even live here yeah and not to have that kind of oppression we have oppressions right. in other ways but nowhere near as bad right as like the middle east or anywhere else right like you know i don't you know the thing is like like i said people are physically assaulted for their faith here i'm sure of that but I feel safe leaving my house every day being a Christian. Like, if, I, if I'm if i leaving my house today, I'm more worried that people would stab me over my wallet than my faith. Yeah. And so, 
you know, the, the persecuted church is something I grew up in a church that had a heavy, heavy emphasis on missions. Um, the church I go to now has a heavy emphasis on missions. Um, the church I go to now actually, uh, had a missionary die in Iraq, Mm. um, a woman named Karen Watson. And so it's a film that I don't think enough Christians are going to see, uh, cause it's going to hurt. Um, and it's not explicitly about Jesus being hurt. Uh, and that's, I know that's a very simple explanation of the passion of the Christ, but Christians went out to see that movie that I think it might still be the highest grossing R rated movie of all time. Maybe Deadpool beat I think it out. Deadpool might have, well, highest grossing. I don't know. I don't remember. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Um, but it's, it's a bummer to me that people would go and see the passion of the Christ and then wouldn't go see silence. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that they can inform and edify your faith the same amount. Um, mm-hmm. Because The Passion of the Christ also isn't a documentary. Um, it's as accurate as he could be. But uh, it's also Mel Gibson's interpretation of the events. Like mm-hmm. By the simple fact that it, he made it at all, it's one man's interpretation of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it is by no... Uh, uh, by no means a detailed, full, 100% accurate, factual account um, of what happened. And uh, Silence is a fictional movie. It's rated R. It's, uh, you know, it's made by a filmmaker who his faith isn't at the forefront um, to a lot of people the way Mel Gibson's is. Um you know when people think of martin scorsese you know when people think of mel gibson they think well they probably think he's an alcoholic but when Mm. people think of mel gibson they probably think of braveheart and the passion of the christ yeah um and maybe lethal weapon when people think of martin scorsese they think taxi driver and goodfellas uh not the the not not the most like jesus movies on the face of the planet yeah and so i think some people i i haven't seen it with a ton of controversy once again i think the culture is a lot different than it was 28 years ago also the film isn't explicitly about jesus Mm. um so my expectations are that it's going to be incredible uh that's the thing is i i don't think scorsese's in the business of making bad movies no Uh, (laughs) i don't i don't think i don't i he's done movies that i don't like necessarily but I will never say a Scorsese movie is bad until I've seen it twice. So if I see it once and don't like it, I'm like, oh, that's probably on me. Gotta um, see it again. Yeah, that's the type of filmmaker Martin Scorsese is. And like I said, on any given day, if you ask me, he's my favorite filmmaker. He was my favorite filmmaker for years. Um, he will always be at least in the top two, I think. I don't know if there's... I, I doubt there's another director that will come along in my lifetime that matches him. Mm-hmm. Um, and... So every time he puts something out, I get excited. Like I said, every time he puts something out, I have to see it. I would be seeing this movie and just as excited regardless. But it's the, the film exists at this like crazy nexus of everything I love, right? Martin Scorsese. Well, okay. Base level, it's a movie. Yeah. Uh, and I love movies. <laughs> Second, it's a Martin Scorsese movie. I love Martin Scorsese movies. Third, it's a Martin Scorsese movie about Christianity. And first and foremost, I'm a Christian. By default, I'm a Christian film critic because uh, I'm a Christian who's a film critic. Like, that's... Yeah. The, <laughs> that's the, literally who I am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> those are probably the two defining characteristics about me. Um, you know, hopefully those are the two things that would pop into most of my friends' brains when they think about me. Um, but 
so the opportunity to talk about this on the podcast and talk about this uh, one with another Christian, um, you know, so so I'm I'm like super jazzed about it, <laughs> um, which is weird to talk, uh, weird to say because it's going to be the three hour uh, emotional roller coaster of wow. seeing Christians persecuted, but. I think it'll. I don't think it'll be. I think it will be a roller coaster. I think there's going to be those deep, like, oh, this is dark, and then some let, let up, some letting off of steam, uh-huh. well, some sweeter moments. I hope. I hope so too. But, uh, but it also does seem to be a bleak affair. Um, also, yeah. it looks like he shot the crap out of this movie. Like you said, it's going to be beautiful. Uh, he made it for less than a hundred million dollars, mm-hmm. which blows my mind. Uh, freaking Martin Scorsese, man. Yeah. Uh, Thelma Schoonmaker is editing it. She's edited every single one of his movies. That means there's going to be a ton of continuity errors, but that's fine. Hmm. Um, he edits for performance, not acting. Uh, or he, sorry, he edits for performance, not continuity. Um, which, uh, all my favorite filmmakers do. So there's something to that. Uh, hmm. Spielberg and Tarantino both edit for performances, not continuity. Hmm. Um, you know, he's a lover of classic cinema. He gave me... I, I would say he gave me my love of classic cinema more than anyone else in my life. Um, you know, Scorsese as a filmmaker means a lot to me. Yeah. Uh, Jesus as a savior means even more. Uh, obviously. I hope that's obvious. Um, and so the combination of those two things just... I mean, I couldn't be more excited. And I think... You know, I think he talks about his faith enough for me to not just write him off on it. Mm. Um, I know, like you said, sometimes the facts tend to be stacked against him. Mm. Um, But I think he brings it up so much that it's like... Something to consider. Yeah, it's hard to just be like, oh, he's not because of what he makes. But even if that were the case, I would be just as excited because he's such a masterful filmmaker that I think he could make this story work without that but because it has that added layer of his personal catholic faith i think it's really gonna be uh close to home um i think it's gonna be a very personal story for martin scorsese which is not something that i associate with him you know um uh, i'm very excited for the conversation that this movie is gonna breed not just between you and I, but I think between other people in my life who see it. I really hope you guys go out to see this movie. Yeah, please um, do. Obviously, don't take the kids. It's rated R. If you take the kid, like, I, that'd do your research. That'd be equivalent to parents taking their kids to go see Deadpool. Right. Which I did see. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> um, you know, and take your teenagers probably. I think that'd be fine. Yeah. Um, I would say maybe... A very mature 14 year old uh or <laughs> but definitely 15 and up i would yeah. say i would say teenagers for sure um should probably see the movie i think a lot of christians need to see the movie um i would it's just it's a bummer to me that churches aren't getting around getting groups together to go see this movie um mm. when they did for passion of the christ mm so christians like that's the thing is you know i feel like if you you could bring that up and have people be like oh well it's rated r we don't go see r rated movies it's like well what about passion of christ and it's like well that was about jesus and it's like well these are about christians like (laughs) not everything can be like not everything has to be jesus on screen always like the actual jesus on screen 
Um, but uh, that's, I think we've covered that enough. Um, this is a long episode and you probably won't hear all of it. It's going to go through some editing. I have an extra week to do it, which I'm thankful for. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else to add, Ryan? No, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see it. Um, but I'm not at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Cause it's going to be, it's going to be work. Yeah. Yeah, watch, yeah. 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 But in a yeah. good sense, mm-hmm. you know, it'll, it'll be worth it. I know it'll be something that will be a sweet conversation between me and you, me and you, and mm-hmm. anyone else. Um, and I think very edifying. Yeah. I, I, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm hoping for is just something that's very edifying and and doesn't end on a bad note. If, I, if, if I don't know how I don't know how to put that, but you know what I mean. You, you, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. I mean? Like I don't want it to end with like, oh yeah, God doesn't exist. Yes, that's um, what I mean. Yeah, yeah I. I, I I would be fine if they died, <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> which is, I know it's weird to say, uh, but, you know, I would be fine if they died, but I would not be fine if they died and God doesn't exist, yeah. you know, in, in the context of the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess you're saying, but that, that's what I meant. But yeah. Yeah. So I'm yeah looking forward, but dreading at the same oh, time. Oh yeah. Brace yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, are you taking Lisa? No, 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 no. I think I'll be going with actually my pastor. Okay. He's the one that got me onto the, the thing for it. So he's been really wanting to watch it. And I've been, re- ever since that, been really interested in seeing it. So mm-hmm. probably be him and a couple other friends, a couple other guys. So. Got it. Yeah. Um, I think Kristen wants to see it, actually, which will be good. Um, that'll be good. I don't know if I could handle that movie by myself. The processing <laughs> afterward alone. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, thank you guys for listening. Um you can find me on twitter at mjsmith891 you can find the youtube show over on youtube uh just type in the before and after show big news coming down the pipeline regarding that in the coming weeks uh namely a name change uh and format change so be on the lookout for that uh Let's see. Uh, you can find my writing at wordofthenerd.com. I've uh, been uh, writing up obituaries for people this year, but I also have a comic book review going up this month for a co- an indie comic called Loose Ends by IDW. Um, it looks pretty promising, so I haven't read it yet, but by the time you hear this, my review should be up, actually, because um, you're hearing this two weeks out or a week after we record it. Um, so it should be up over there, wordofthenerd.com. Uh, go check out our our uh, comic book, uh, our weekly comic book recommendations. We've changed the format on that where our uh, all of the people who write about comics for the website have uh, are actually going through and picking their recommendations each week. Um, so I was able to participate in that. Uh those of you that know me, it should come as no surprise that my recommendation this week is James Bond Felix Leiter number one, um, which is the spin-off comic from the James Bond comics that have been over at Dynamite for the last few months. Uh, they're doing a spin-off of Felix Leiter. Felix Leiter is James Bond's American counterpart, basically, um, and they team up sometimes, but this is a, a Felix Leiter solo mission, which I've never heard of and sounds sweet. Hmm. Um so yeah, go go look at that. Uh, oh, go to tarplymovietalk.com. That's T-A-R-P-L-E-Y, uh, tarplymovietalk.com. That is the website of a very good internet friend of mine named Josh Tarpley. Uh, we have not met in person, but we became internet bros over the last year <laughs> via Twitter. And he actually asked me, 
to participate in a collaborative top 10 list over at his website. And so uh, basically what he did is he reached out to nine writers uh, and himself. I mean, he didn't have to reach out to himself, but he reached out to nine people uh, for a total of 10, got all of our top 10 lists together and compiled the ones, the the movies that had the most votes and then assigned each one of us a movie. Um, So you get... 10 movies and 10 different perspectives on not on each movie but um if you go and read the top 10 list i was able to write about hell or high water one of my favorite movies of last year <sighs> so good uh, man i loved it uh i was actually a little bummed it wasn't higher on the, the top 10 list but i'm glad it was on there at all mm-hmm. um i got a chance to write about that uh, i don't actually know who uh you can you can see at the bottom of the paragraph who wrote which ones but Go follow all those people. They're all really cool. Uh, I want to thank Josh for the opportunity. He's a really cool guy. Uh, hopefully we can meet up in person someday. That would be cool. Um, but yeah, that was uh, it was really cool of him to do that. He could have just done his personal top 10, which he will be doing. And you should read that because he's a good writer. Um, yeah, and then all the stuff we do over here at the Before and After Show and on YouTube can be found at thatrealperspective.blogspot.com. That's that R-E-E-L perspective.blogspot.com um Corey Tindall does game space over at youtube uh I'm, me and mike moray are holding down the fort over at youtube you can go see our favorite movies of the year um you can see me and mike argue about la la land <laughs> um <laughs> until next time go watch hunt for the wilder people Makana-san. Makana-san. <laughs> <laughs>